to CMIO Podcast, a show devoted to educating and informing those who are making healthcare easier for others. Whether you're involved with informatics, analytics, or new technologies that make the lives of our practicing clinicians better, this show is for you. My name is Dr. Mark Weissman, a practicing physician and CMIO, and the host of CMIO Podcast. Today, covering the news you need to know for the week of November the 4th. So, got roughly six articles, maybe seven if we have time that we'll touch on today. The first one comes out of, it's an opinion letter, and I picked it up off of a website called STAT. The EMR has changed the doctor-patient duet into a menage a trois, and this was from October 31st. And I'll just read you some lines that this doctor wrote. Um, they went live on Epic, and they're talking about life before Epic, and now here's life after going live on Epic. So six months in now that I'm used to Epic's kinks and quirks, a new reality has set in. It's not so much whether one EMR is better than another. They all have their breathtaking assets and their snarling annoyances. What is really becoming clear to me is the uncomfortable realization that there are actually three of us in the room now, the patient, me, and Epic. What started out as a tool, a database to store information more efficiently than the paper chart, has inserted itself as a member of the medical team. What used to be a tango between the doctor and a patient is now a troika. But unlike the doctor or the nurse or the physical therapist, the electronic medical record system undergoes no medical training. Unlike the blood pressure cuff or the pacemaker or the MRI, it does not have to meet any federal safety standards. Unlike the cholesterol medication or the antibiotic, the EMR doesn't have to undergo any clinical trials to ensure that its harms do not exceed its benefits. He goes on to, I'll just give you another few lines here. There's no doubt the electronic medical records are a godsend for storing data. And younger doctors have absolutely no idea how much pavement pounding was invested in tracking down lost x-rays, missing charts, and elusive hematology consults. And let's see. What is not in doubt, however, is the erosion of doctor-patient communication. A typical medical visit these days consists of the doctor wrestling with the computer while the patient gazes at the supply cabinet. I try valiantly to maintain eye contact with my patients, but it's virtually impossible with the demands of the EMR. Unsurprisingly, patients participate less in the interaction when their doctors are ensconced in the EMR, and they actually feel the diminishment of eye contact. Most substantially, patients have noticed how the electronic medical record decimates staff morale and recognize that this is not without consequences for their health. And the final line, the twosome is now a threesome. As with any menage a trois, there are always consequences. So, uh, slightly humorous there, the doctor has figured out that the EMR has inserted itself into the doctor-patient relationship. Sure, that's another doctor that's, that's come to this conclusion, we, we get that. But I bring this article up for discussion because there's really some ways of improving this that I've seen that are effective, and from what I can tell, it's really not a threesome now, it's a foursome. And that's because the scribe is now in our exam rooms. I've seen a variety of models with this. I'm sure you have as well, but the live human being in the room with the patient and the doctor, that's one model. The, uh, there's two different ways of doing this. One is where the scribe is just that. They're just a scribe, no medical training, just a fast typer. And I'm working with a practice where the doctor has a tablet and the doctor can use that to review data and enter orders while the scribe is just capturing the note. 
And sometimes they bump into each other in the chart, so you have to learn to kind of keep the dance going as to who's in which section of the chart so they don't block each other out from, from being able to record data. The second variation is where the medical assistant is actually, uh, was the medical assistant's described. And so usually the provider has to have two medical assistants, so one is rooming while the other one is in the room doing typing and can also do things like pending orders. It usually requires actually 2.5 medical assistants per provider because someone's going to be out on vacation or sick and the model falls apart if you try to run it too lean. Uh, and these are usually employees of your system, whereas scribes, you can hire them from a service usually if you're just looking for just the scribe model. Remote scribes is the other variety that this comes in, and that also comes in two flavors. You get real-time and asynchronous, and that can come in either international or U.S.-based uh, scribes. So there's pros and cons to each of these options. My take on this is that the EMR has increased the burden on providers, no doubt. I think the doctor in this article, this editorial is correct, yes. But until ambient artificial intelligence has improved to the point where it can understand the complexities of our office visits, I think scribes are a really attractive option. And I have seen providers deploy these really effectively and be able to return their attention to the patient. Won't work for all specialties. But this is a, uh, I've seen it work in complex cardiology offices, and I think it could work in internal medicine, family practice. I don't think psych would be the one where I would really think it would not work. All right, next. This one comes out of Becker's eight quotes about hospital innovation at Intermountain, Geisinger, Mayo Clinic, and more. It was written by Andrea Park, October 31st. I'm actually only going to read two of these. And I'm going to read the two that are from doctors because I like to promote our fellow colleagues who are doing good work here. So Benjamin Holmuth, hope I said that right, uh, MD, he's the Chief Medical Informatics Officer at Geisinger, which is in Danville, Pennsylvania. And he says, think about innovation as new ways to solve problems. Our goal is not to use new technology, but rather to solve relevant problems. If new technology can help, that is great, but that is not always the case. Using existing tools in a thoughtful way with careful attention to workflow can sometimes be quite innovative and have a significant impact. The next one is Peter Fleischett, also a doctor, senior vice president and chief transformational officer at New York Presbyterian in New York City. He says, probably the biggest mistake I see is the belief that technology can solve all healthcare problems. In actuality, technology only makes up about 5% of innovation. So if you don't focus on the people in the process, you're going to make a mistake. So why did I pick these two quotes? Well, like I said, first of all, I like promoting our colleagues that are quoted in the news. Nice job, guys. Good, good stuff. Number two, I think the messages are kind of similar and they are spot on. Focusing on people in the process is first and then the tech comes along as a supporting actor, not the centerpiece. And as I think about my own strengths and weaknesses, I recognize that I get so excited about the tech, I'm ready to implement it. I have to catch myself in doing this because people and process does come first. So it's good advice in these quotes for all of us. Next one. This one comes out of HIS Talk. And the whole story is only about four or five sentences here, so I'll just read that to you. It's, it's another editorial. This one's a New York Times essay by a UCSF internist, assistant professor, author, and another podcaster, Emily Silverman, uh, MD. And she says the hospital's new EPIC system amplifies the insecurities of its physician users. And she notes, and there's four bullet points here, 
Her first epic login presented a warning that she had, quote, deficiencies, end quote, which she says made her feel like a middle school student whose name was called out in assembly. In contrast, her friends who work at Facebook say the company talks a lot about the, quote, voice. In trying to make users feel cared for with birthday reminders and display of photo memories. Number two, Epic has an unintelligible medical notes filled with ragged vines of superfluous robot-generated text, ouch, and interruptive mid-documentation demands to choose a patient's diagnosis from a drop-down list while she is trying to figure out what's actually happening with the patient. Number three, entering the chart of a deceased patient, which is often when the physician finds out their patient has died, provides an empathy-free deceased warning pop-up. And she concludes, a more humane version of Epic would take a different tone. In the absence of a true emergency, its colors and symbols would be neutral, even tranquil. Deceased patient warnings would recognize the emotional impact of a life lost. Deficiencies and delinquencies would become incomplete tasks, and pop-ups would float into view as small islands of empathy, like the system's periodic emails. Quote, thank you for all your hard work, end quote. But until then, the voice of the program itself, urgent, intimidating, and tinged with allegation, will continue to contribute to the profession's growing sense of despair. Love that article. I never really thought about the language we use as informaticists as having a voice or a tone, like Dr. Silverman talks about. But I have to admit that I have written some fairly cold and impersonal pop-ups. For example, when a, a provider is trying to change the hospital admission status from inpatient to observation, and they really shouldn't do that, I hit them with a, an alert that says, STOP! with a big exclamation point, and call case management before you do this with another exclamation point, and a picture of a big red stop sign that pops up, because I wanted the alert to stand out. I want to be clear and concise, because that's what we're taught to do. But the, is the voice I created there tranquil? or neutral? Probably not. It probably comes across like someone's shouting at them. And I really can tone that down quite a bit, and I will after reading this. And so my advice to you is to think about the tone you use in your alerts and your messages. We want our message to be heard, but perhaps we don't have to shout out, out to our clinicians. And maybe we'll see a miss rate. I'm not sure we will. It's worth studying. Change around your alerts and see if it impacts the, uh, the conversion rate. All right, next one. This one I got out of Healthcare Dive, and it was written within the last few days. Uh, yeah, November 1st by uh, Samantha Liss. And here's the, what the story is about. It's about providers get a win as CMS delays push for hospitals to reveal negotiated rates. When I say providers, they're talking about hospital systems here. So the administration is pushing back a proposal that would have required hospitals to make public the secret rates it negotiates with insurers. The proposal, first put forth in July, went one step beyond a CMS move from last year, which required hospitals to post the list price, or the initial price before insurance negotiations, online in a machine-readable format. And many criticized the move and said the data was useless for consumers with insurance coverage. The initial proposed rule from CMS called for hospitals to disclose payer-specific negotiated rates for at least 300 shoppable services. So why does the CMIO need to know about this? I think it's a really interesting dilemma between the needs of the patients to understand their costs up front versus the rights of businesses being forced by the government to disclose their pricing information. That's kind of unusual and from what I'm reading people aren't quite sure it's legal. I agree with 
the fact that the stuff we currently put online is completely useless to the majority of patients. You cannot go onto a website and figure out how much it's going to cost you for an MRI or a knee replacement if you have insurance because the amount negotiated by your insurer is going to be less than the list price that we post on our websites. And people have different deductibles, they have different copays, there are a huge number of different plans out there. Payers can do this. They can inform their patients. In fact, I've seen them do this where uh, you schedule an MRI at one place and they'll call the patient and say, hey, did you know you could get that MRI cheaper over at this different center? So as you think about your digital strategy for patient engagement, consider how you're going to get pricing info to the patient. It's going to happen. It's either going to happen by regulation, it's going to happen by consumer demand, it'll happen by the insurance companies helping to do this. But I think once a low-cost provider in your market makes their numbers transparent and if your numbers are higher you've got a problem and you're going to need to become transparent and match the price which somewhat creates a race to the bottom which is why I understand the hospital systems are fighting this the uh, insurance companies are fighting this as well because they really don't want their rates called out they think that the hospital that's getting paid the lowest in town will now demand higher rates and the insurers will have a more difficult time dealing with that. So interesting to watch that one. So far it's been postponed. Next article. Optum acquires patient monitoring startup. So this is uh, from Andrea Park and also in Becker's and came out Thursday, October 31st. So. It's a, it's a very short article here. I'm just going to read one line, which is the important one. United Health Group's Optum has acquired Vivify Health, a startup that offers providers and payers a mobile, cloud-based platform for remote patient monitoring. For those of you not familiar with Vivify, they make a kit that includes Bluetooth-enabled scale, blood pressure cuff, pulse ox, and some other simple monitoring devices. And I think it's probably the largest player in this space. Whenever I hear my colleagues talking about remote patient monitoring, the name Vivify is always coming up. And they can either transmit the data to your health system where your case managers and nurses are monitoring it, or they also have case managers and nurses that can kind of filter through the noise and just tell you when the real stuff is going on. For, for those of you who don't know who Optum is, they are owned by United Healthcare, and they do population health analytics, and they're huge. This purchase is almost certainly an analytics play for Optum. They must see something of value in that remote patient data that can give them an edge in population health. And I completely agree that they need data about what's going on in patients' homes, but I have not been impressed with the tools so far. Not a knock on Vivify, it's more a knock on the technology. We need to know if the patient's using their walker, if they're eating their meals, if they're taking their meds, if they got any social interaction. And we need solutions that are more than 30 days or 60 days, which is how long a typical Vivify engagement lasts. And that's clearly designed for hospital readmission prevention. We have a ways to go in this field, but the serious amount of cash that United Healthcare has, maybe we'll see something really good come out of this. So watch this one. It's interesting to see how the space develops and with United Healthcare and Optum getting in the play, into the field here, it's interesting. All right, this one is from Jackie Dries, October 31st, also in Becker's. Geisinger launches clinical imaging data tool for health records interoperability. So Geisinger announced on October 31st it is developing a digital tool with clinical and image data sharing network called Life Image 
to help patients manage their breast health records. With the new tool, Geisinger patients will be able to request, store, and share their breast health records, including previous mammograms, to help support breast care management and early cancer detection. The Pennsylvania Department of Health awarded a financial grant to Geisinger uh, to the Geisinger Health Information Exchange called KeyHIE to develop the tool. KeyHIE was founded in 2005 and serves more than 5.8 million patients across Pennsylvania and New Jersey. In addition to record, the record sharing tool, Geisinger and Life Image will collaborate on projects in areas including pop health and patient engagement and imaging. It's interesting. A couple things that I caught on there. Number one is it seems like the patient is opting in. If I read that correctly, they said that the patients will be able to request store and share. So it's not an opt out. And I wonder why Geisinger went with such an approach. And I wonder why they also went with a, such a siloed approach. If they're creating the interface and patient platform for one type of imaging, like breast imaging, why not do it for all the other types? Because I'm sure the lung cancer patient would benefit just as much by having their CT scan of the chest available to them as the breast cancer patient does for having their MRI, uh, their mammogram available. So are you participating with an HIE? Uh, I'm interested here. I'm looking for feedback. And I don't mean you're just sending data in. I'm looking for people who are utilizing the data from the HIE in a meaningful way for population health activities. I've seen pockets of success. I'm curious if someone out there has really made a significant dent in the interoperability issue here. I think Maryland has a really good model where all of our images are available on the state HIE. Our providers use this tool all the time. A patient's transferring in from a remote, small remote outlying hospital and they're on a different EMR system and the accepting doc, the consultant, wants to review the images first. No problem. Go to the HIE. Take a look. So let me know if you have something we're sharing. I have a guest I'm trying to get on the show who's an expert to talk about HIEs. I think she, she will do an excellent job and help really expand our practical knowledge about what is happening in this space. So stay tuned. More to come on that. And I think we'll wrap it up there for today. That's, that's enough news. Uh, thank you for listening to CMIO Podcast. I've been your host, Mark Weissman. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn or email me at cmiopodcast at gmail.com, or go to the website at cmiopodcast.com. Some of your ideas for shows, guests you'd like to hear from, general feedback, or just to connect, and I look forward to bringing you our next episode.